Papi Sabbath Church. I'd like to start off by thanking Brother Orandi for his kind words. Now, when I was asked to make the presentation today, I went to my office and I invited everyone that I could see. And those I couldn't see, I sent them text messages. And that was done in an effort to foster for myself a penny section so that just in case I got nervous, I could point over there and I hear amen. Or I could look there and I'd hear an a hallelujah. But nevertheless, it's not about me, so I ask that you whisper a prayer so that my nerves will be stilled as I try to present God's words. I'd also like to take the time out to thank my friends, my family members, my aunts, my mothers for being here. It really means a lot. You've been with me every step of the way and I'm forever in your debts. Thank you. How many of you here today can recall being lost? Whether it's in a loneliness or a wilderness, sorry, void of human contact, a home, a community or relationship without love, appreciation and direction, or in a sea of strangers. I'll guarantee you that we have all been, albeit, albeit momentarily lost in at least one, if not all of those categories. Several dictionaries have assigned varying definitions to the term lost. These range from a state of being dispossessed or no longer retained, as in lost friends, to not being used towards good purposes, as in opportunities, time or labor, or wasted, as in lost advantage. But the definition that I like best and think is the most suited for today's sermon, or today's topic, lost and found, the return of the prodigal, is having gone astray, missed the way, bewildered as to place, direction, time, etc., as in lost children. Now, based on the definition and topic given, who among us has never yet lost their way? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that you give me the presence of mind to present your words with clarity. Make it so that it will resonate in our hearts and we'll internalize it and leave it to your honor and glory. These and other unmentioned mercies we ask. Your son's holy and precious name we should pray. Amen. Getting lost in today's world with so many directional signs and gadgets is surprisingly easy. Most of the time we get, we get lost. When we get lost, it's usually as a result of something we did or failed to do. I'm not saying we get lost on purpose. I'm saying being lost most, if not all the time, is a preventable occurrence. Now I'd like to share a very personal testimony with you. Now it's about a boy who loved nature so much, he got lost in it. How many of you here have ever been to the Blue Mountains? Good. How many of you here have ever been lost in the Blue Mountains? Now, the Blue Mountain Peak is the second highest point in the Caribbean behind Pica Duarte in the Dominican Republic and stands at around 7,402 feet from sea level. From Hagley's Gap and Cleverly, the peak is around 7 miles out and rises rapidly by about 3,000 feet. So you'll understand, as I did, that there are some pretty steep points on this mountain. 
It was April of 2001, and some of my family members had decided to go on a hike to the peak. The arrangement was that we'd camp at a section of the foot, or the peak, the foot of the peak, which is called Jacob's Ladder, in a cottage known as the Wildflower Lodge. Then we'll move out at about 2.30 or 3 in the morning when the sky is clearer that we might get an opportunity to see Cuba. Now church, it's not today that I started eating a lot. Back then, I was far more muscular. Yes, you can't imagine, but yes it was. Now, I was all muscle and youthful exuberance. And I was the youngest person on the trail. So naturally, I was the first to get to the peak followed closely by my uncle and that was a very exhilarating feeling for want of better words the cool breeze the extra fresh air it makes you wonder why we love the city so much when the others got to the peak we ate we spoke we played until it was time to return to civilization and if we moved fast enough it would take us about two hours 15 minutes down and guess who was at the head of the pack without a doubt i was there i was moving like a bullet until I decided to take a shortcut. Now, to say that all went downhill from there would be funny, since I was already going downhill and fast. Now, the rule of the shortcut, as I had heard from other cadets, was that you slide down a few feet or meters, then you took a sharp right. The problem was I slid all the way down. When I finally stopped, the incline seemed very steep, and to my dismay, it was comprised of loose rocks. So now, I'm trying to crawl my way back up to either the right or to the top, where everyone else would soon be passing. I was on all fours, crawling up, but whenever I tried to climb, as soon as I got to a point, I'd slide right back down. I did that for about 20 or so minutes, and instead of shouting for help, I decided to follow the paths down into the valley. Friends, for years we have been hearing that smoking kills or that it's dangerous. Well, I'm not here to dispute that today, but what I've considered, or have any of you ever considered that pride and the lack of patience are far more lethal? I guarantee you that too much of one and too little of the other is among the fastest way to get you in trouble and about the fastest way to allow you to meet destruction. After walking for about 10 minutes, I came to a crossroads where I had to choose right or left. I chose right for two simple reasons. One, I couldn't see the end of this path, and two, it ran in a direction that was parallel to the one I was on before breaking away. Now, many of the self-help books will tell you to think with the end in mind, but in life, the roads that have easily discernible ends are the one we often reject, because it means we might soon have to change course, and we hate changes, at least to some extent. Also, the road we have we take in life, or the roads we take in life, are usually the ones similar to those we have been on all along. Albeit a little extra twist or turn here and there, but if it's totally different, then chances are we might not take it. Unless we're rebelling, and even then, our compass still points back. Fact is, friends, we love our comfort zones. Now this adds extra meaning to the phrase, train up a child in the way he should go and that's still very uncommon wisdom. Now, after choosing the road on the right, I realized that my surroundings were getting darker and darker, and you know that with darkness comes loneliness, followed closely by fear, and with that, the Lord's Prayer. O oh, Father, <laughs> O 
started off by saying, Oh, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you know the rest of it. Now I'll share another secret. Besides my grace, that was the only prayer I knew fully and in the correct order. Sure, I knew the 23rd Psalms, but often had problems connecting the dot. The fact is, I knew something. All thanks to my grandmother, Easy Church, my family was a very dynamic one in a religious sense. Prayer wasn't really the center of it. We didn't have those dynamic devotions. It was every man for himself. Your own personal relationship with your Savior, praying and worshiping together, was more or less a no-no. It never happened, except for that one occasion which I'll not speak about just yet. One will find, though, that my attitude towards God and worship came from a variety of influences. My father was a Rastaman and an astute Bible student. My mother, she was a Catholic or Pentecostal or something to that effect. No. She was often called a window Christian. She was at every crusade, every watch night service by the church window. Now, I say that to say that this is symbolic of many of us. We stay on the outskirts of God's church. We're afraid to give up what we can see for what he can give to us. And sometimes we do the reverse. We come inside and we put God out. This takes me to my second point. Most of my family, they have a problem with the church. They tell me, call me, too many hypocrites, too much hypocrisy in church. And that's true. Some of us as Christians, we can be callous, we can be heartless. But <laughs> but I'm sure there must be some righteous persons in here as well. <laughs> so the questions to the question to my family and my friends why not come and talk to them the hypocrites know why they are here but the question is why are you distancing yourself from God come and be a part of that change you are so passionate about in my family I must say that my grandmother had, she has had the most profound effect on me firstly she was a self-taught Adventist and the matriarch of the family she took me under her wings from before I could walk she brought me to church every Sabbath and taught me to read from the Bible talk about a solid foundation. The Bible is the first book that I've ever read and one of the few books that I still read and enjoy reading. My family was loving, albeit cantankerous. My siblings would have several confrontations and arguments, none of which I was a part of because I couldn't argue and my grandmother was always there to stop the fights. Now let me get back to being lost. While being there in the valley, praying, I realized that things got progressively worse. The place grew darker, grew colder and lonelier. So naturally, I became more fearful. Now I came to a little stream and so I decided to follow it, primarily because it represented for me hope. <coughs> hope. It represented a hope that might lead or that it might lead to civilization. So so the fear subsided until the stream grew and got bigger and bigger until the worst thing happened. It went underground. And that was after following it for about 45 minutes or so. Now, I had no more company. 
but I saw what seemed to be an opening wide enough for me to follow the stream underground. But on account of the fact that the place was extra dark and the water made no sound, I decided to do otherwise, thinking to myself, silent rivers run deep. Friends, there were no tears. I was lost. I just didn't know it yet. I was that coin. I was a coin in the parable of Luke. The difference is that God wasn't looking for me. He was waiting for me to find him or to acknowledge his presence. Being out there in the wilderness provided an opportunity to reflect on a few of the good qualities of the people in my life. I missed the feeling of being protected. My grandmother did that. Of being loved, that was my mother, and of being challenged intellectually and otherwise by my father. Each person represented something else to me, so it wasn't that they didn't all love and care for me. I just looked to each for something else. Now I'm hoping that you're still with me, because I promised a personal testimony. Now after walking past that deceptive little hole we all get to in some point in our lives, I soon realized why the stream sunk. I was at a cliff or something like that. That little area of my memory, I'm being told that uh, if my memory serves right, there was some fog. Now I needed to get over on the other side and thank God I could see there. But I needed to be sure that I could actually make the jump. And so I took off one of the two knapsacks that I had and I threw it across and it landed on the other side, close to the edge. So now I'm thinking I just might be able to make this jump. So I stepped back a little and I ran as fast as I could and I jumped as, a, as hard as I could. Question, did I miss? When I jumped and came to the other side, I walked for a few feet, then I heard a piece of rock break behind me. Now that was just like in the movies. And that church signaled the point of no return. Now I knew I was lost, but I didn't know the way back, because I couldn't go back the way I came. So I moved on, cried tough. That led to my second, third, fourth, and fifth prayers. In fact, that's where I lost count. Plus, those prayers were special. They were stamped with tears. Not the ones you force because of expectations. I'm talking about the ones you can't hold back because of desperation. Church, I think I'm, a, I'm a, at the very least, I'm an optimist. And there is always an upside to every situation. But the thing is, sometimes you have to know the downside first. I became the lost sheep. I prayed to God. I cried for my mothers. And I wish they were around. Now you might fail to see the good in this situation, but just think about it. First, I was lost, and I didn't know it like the coin. Now I'm lost. I knew it, but I didn't know how to get back like the sheep. And I think I'm getting better. Amen? And now I can shout at the top of my lungs in despair, in hope that God would hear me and rescue me. I'm beginning to surrender, and I'm beginning to acknowledge God's presence. Brethren, I've had, I've had my church all this time, like so many of us do. And all this time, God was at the door knocking. And I couldn't hear. I was caught up ministering to myself, hugging up my salvation. And so God decided to go to the window for me to see him. Now I'm left to decide. Will I let him in or will I leave him outside? Now I'm talking to my family and those of you in the church that are like them. God says, come as you are. 
and we say, I'm going to set things right first. But what we, sh- what we are really telling God is that we're not ready for that commitment. We're not ready just yet, whether it's out of a sense of fear or a sense of desire to have fun or gain earthly possessions. We're doing ourselves injustice. Matthew 16.26 asks the question, What will it profit a man to gain the world and lose his own soul? Sometimes we're so caught up trying to reach, not realizing that we're slowly losing ourselves, often becoming that which we hate. Some of us are bitter. Some of us are broken-hearted. But friends, God can. In fact, God will mend a broken heart. If you give him all the pieces, just trust him. After praying and crying intermittently, God helped me to put myself together and a new journey started from that spot, my first encounter with Providence. I was in the valley of indecision and I was forced to jump over my doubts and fears and God brought me across it. And now I was heading to a better place. Though not without trials, the place grew darker and darker still, almost like a moonlit night, a cold one, but I wasn't lonely anymore only when I allowed myself to get distracted. Friends, if you keep on looking ahead to Jesus, there's absolutely no reason to worry. He has you covered on all sides. Although the enemy is closing in, our God is that cloud by day and that pillar of fire that guides us by night or darkest hours. I don't want you to misinterpret me, no. There will be rough times. But who says that we don't deserve a little roughing up sometimes? After all, diamonds, as precious as they may appear, are little more than polished stones. Note the little more. They have to be cut, they have to be chiseled over and over again. And then voila, you have emerald cut, you have princess cut, you name it. Church, sometimes our faith must be tried in order for it to grow. Now I'd like for you to turn with me to Romans verse 5. Romans chapter 5, sorry. Reading from verse 1 through to 5. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Are we all there? It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into his grace, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Church, our walk is one of faith, it's not one of sight. It's a higher calling in which we are called to forsake not some, not a part, but all. And that means we must be totally dependent on Him. We must have faith so that we can persevere. As persecutions will come, it's just a matter of time. Now I'm thinking that our one prayer should be to have Jesus walk with us. And based on the fact that I am unable to sing, I'll ask one of my sisters, one of my church sisters, to come and grace us with that for just a minute.
Have you salvaged it? I want Jesus to walk with me. I want Jesus to walk with me. signal and direction. You know the little sound that you might hear, the static. And I'd walk in the direction which is strongest until I came across a time field. Now one cock full of Gatorade to fuel the body and new found hope for civilization. But after walking around for some time, I realized that I was going around in circles. I passed the same set of trees multiple times. Now, I pride myself in being a smart young man, and so I began to mark the trees. And after passing them once, I took the other turn, 
and was out of there. I walked. As a matter of fact, before I even started that, I started considering to myself that these farmers, they led a tough life. Because after walking for what seemed to be forever, I haven't seen any, any form of life apart from the time tree, any form of civilization, nothing at all, just wilderness. But I walked with a hope. I was looking after going on top of first, second, the third hill. I was hoping that I would have seen something, perhaps a hut or some houses or something more. But alas, that was not to be. Instead, I saw a cabin in the distance and it was surrounded by a wilderness. Now that meant two things. One, someone built it. Hence, two, someone lived there or lived close by. Now running down the hillside showed me how weak I had gotten. My legs were wobbly, my head was light, and so my body slowed me down. My body slowed me down against my will. Then I fell. I was exhausted, and the worst possible thing was about to happen. It was about to rain. Now truth be told, I needed a little cooling down, but I've always been told to cool down before you go into the water. But I couldn't move. My head was spinning off, and my head was spinning, and so I drifted off. But nevertheless, I got up feeling re-energized and refreshed, and clearly it was just a drizzle because I wasn't wet. I was damp, but not wet. Now I could walk to the cabin that seemed to be miles away, and when I got there, I saw some peach trees with a few peaches. Now, many of you might say, wow, good food, but these peaches were the most sour food. I can't begin to describe how sour it was. Even thinking about it, my skin crawled. But I had it anyway, I had them, I had a lot, because I was past hungry. Now the cabin was empty, and it had a star, or a rod, whichever you call it, which spoke to an owner, or multiple owners, which presented some amount of hope. And I rested a while, and I reflected. I just walked over two and a half hills. I've prayed, I've cried more times in my life than I ever thought possible. I was lost, and I was happy. But why? Could you all turn to Luke 15? Read it from verse 18. Now I'll read ahead of you. It says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. At 19, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me like one of thy hired servants. I know had a change of heart and a change of circumstances. I was lost, knew I was lost, and knew how to get back. Albeit not to my family, not to civilization, but to my God. Did you know that sometimes in order for you to get a sheep back home, you have to break its leg? You might be thinking, dumb sheep, right? But like the sheep, it was my spirit that needed to be broken. My independence. You see, I had stopped going to church soon after my grandmother died. I couldn't take it anymore. The church reminded me of her, so much so that I stopped. I was the prodigal, and I saw my error, and I was now bent on taking steps to correct it. But should I be saying any such thing? How is the story similar to that of the prodigal? Let's get back to the beginning. Luke 15 verse 11 gives the story of a wealthy man. He had two sons. The younger of the two decided to take his wealth and go discover the world and all it has to offer. 
Now, if you know the culture at the time, this child was doing something that wasn't done in those days. He was asking his father for his inheritance, which was usually given at the death of the patriarch. He was going or he was doing the unspeakable. Now, let me localize the point. He was saying pretty much, Daddy, I can't wait for you there. So, just give over now and we can go deal with it. Pretty much, that was it. Now, most of us would say this was disrespectful. This was disrespecting the highest order. Your son is pretty much asking that you die. Pretty much. But his father was a compassionate man, clearly. He gave him what he didn't labor for. Then, like so many of us, by his act of leaving, he was distancing himself from the protective care and providence of his loving father. Friends, this sounds all too familiar, almost identical to the human condition. Except after we have rejected God, we blame him for not leaving and realizing that it's all our doing. When I was younger, I had a girlfriend. She thought I was cheating. Now one day I was leaning on a wall, pretty much like this. Now when she saw the girl who it's presumed that I was cheating with, she eased off. And then she blamed me for dressing back. Remember, I was leaning up against the wall. Now talk about perspective, friends. Anyway, the story continues with this son distancing himself by going to a far country. Then he spent his possessions and harlotry and riotous living until there was a severe famine in the land. Now the question to you is, based on his life, do you think this famine would have changed, would have forced a change if he had money? Perhaps, perhaps not. The fact that he had nothing with which to barter made his life so much the harder. <clears throat> Believe it or not, each of us has a talent or talents and we can do one of two things with them. We can either use it or squander. Now, someone might say, what about putting it aside or putting it away? But that doesn't apply in this case, friends. That's the same as squandering it <clears throat> and you will lose it, just like the lazy servant. For everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from him, who do, from him who does not have, even that which he has will be taken away. Now after bearing the brunt of the famine, he was still being buttressed by his pride, like me in the gully. I could have waited and then called when everyone was passing. Likewise, he could have returned to his father. But no, too much pride, too little patience. We both did the opposite. I went deeper in the valley and he attached himself to a citizen of that land and he got a job as a feeder of swine, which to a Jew was the most degrading form of employment. Now imagine for an instant, you being a Jew and one of your children deciding to leave, to squander his natural abilities and wealth and then handling something that Jews, Adventists or whomever would consider to be against our beliefs. Picture your nice Adventist son or daughter dealing with Arnold Fat or Trenton or your nice Christian son going contrary to doctrine. That sounds like a write-off. Most of us would start labeling them as a, a bad dentists or grease cans. Which brings me to say that as the family of God, we can be a little ruthless to our siblings at times. One mistake and the door is shut. Not realizing that the only thing in our lives that isn't a mistake is grace that God has provided for us. To date, friends, our lives have been riddled with mistakes, starting from the one our parents made way back there in the garden. But thank God for Jesus. 
or advocate before a God whose mercies endure for generations. Now I can look at those days when the prodigal was on every VIP list of every club, every night, premium liquor, the prettiest women, and everything that a real boss or a world boss, as we put it now, could desire, could desire and afford for himself right at his, at his fingertips and then it's all gone. Just me or you sitting on that curb, no companion. The party's over. The music has stopped. You're all by your lonesome. I said it before, church. Some of us can feel alone even in a crowd of people. It's not always about the quantity of those around us, but the quality of our associations. For me, the pigs are or can be seen as the people, those with no true loyalty or allegiance to us. They are just seeing us for what we are, a means to an end. And in this young man's case, he was the food bearer. Their sustenance, uh, he was the provider of their sustenance. Never mind, he was wasting away. But in any event, perhaps they might not have been able to help him. That's what they were used to. But he, on the other hand, was trying to bring himself down to their level just to survive. Note the writer saying, he is fain to fill himself with the husks on which the beasts fed. You see, church, his false, this false sense of happiness is gone. His conscience is still, his senses benumbed, his moral nature or judgment is dwarfed. He has become the most wretched of mortals. Friends, although we are surrounded by the blessings of our Father's love, there is nothing that the sinner bent on self-indulgence and pleasure desires so much as separation. We claim our existence not as a privilege, or an extension of God's mercy, but as a right. We, turn to we return no love for his mercies towards us. Then we seek happiness in forgetfulness of him, not realizing that whoever lives apart from God is wasting away his substance. The good thing, though, is that even in that state, if you listen carefully, that still small voice is calling you. So the question is, what do you do? Simple, you answer. You stop spending money for that which is not bread. You stop laboring for that which does not satisfy. You look around at the degradation. Look at the human condition. You say yes. Look at your despair. Look at your misery. O wretched man that I am. Say yes, brethren. Say yes to Jesus. Why trust in the arm of man? It is flesh. It is flesh whose heart has departed from his maker. And keep. It's time for a surrender, church. The thing about our Heavenly Father is that even in our state of separation, this God still, through his love, yearns for all who have chosen to be separate. And he sets or puts in motion influences to bring us back, signposts if you may. This child, in his deplorable state, came to himself. He had a self-revelation of God, thereby breaking the hold that sin and Satan had on him. He recognized the folly of his ways, his misery, and he had found hope. Where was that hope to be found, friend? That hope wasn't coming from his own devices. That hope wasn't coming from the swines. That hope wasn't coming from his surroundings. That hope was coming from the conviction of a father's love. The love that was always ready to forgive, always ready to assure and to reassure time and again. The love that says, come as you are. This is the love that transforms sinners to saints, depths to heights. This is the love that transforms despair to hope, the love that God alone can give. Friends, this is the love that only God has. And God says in Jeremiah 31, 3, The Lord hath appeared 
unto me a whole. Say yes. And by the way, that's confirmation. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God's love was drawing him towards home, as it is calling out to us, pulling us ever closer to the bosom of one that is able. Church, this is the assurance of God's love. It is this assurance that constrains us as sinners to return to God, nothing of ourselves, nothing. Luke 15, 20 says, He arose and he came to his father. That's the acceptance and the son's readiness to change. But look at the father's response. In continuing from the same verse, it says, But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Church, the father was faithful, the father was hopeful. He was waiting, he was watching, he was praying diligently. Now James 5 verse 16 tells us that the effectual, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now one of the most profound acts on the father's part was the act of meeting him half, halfway. It says to me that despite our transgressions, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Church, this reinforces all that I have been saying. Now if you can remember earlier, verse 19, the young man had prepared a speech. When he saw his father, he would say, Daddy, I am unworthy. I should not be called your son any longer. Allow me to work as a servant. And he got the opportunity and said all that. But did it appear as if the father cared much for the speech? He said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. We are seeing a lot of imagery here. But what does it all mean? Let us all first look at the garments of grace. The Father will permit no contemptuous eyes to steer mockingly on his son's misery and tatters. Note that the Father said to the servant, Bring the best robe. Now, the best, uh, based on the Greek, the word here is protos. He was saying, Bring the first or the foremost of the robes. This man was bruised, friends, from a long journey. This man was weak. This man was torn. He was hungry. And he was stink. But the father, he didn't care. He didn't even care to wash him up. He put the robe on him straight away. And this shows an act of completion. An act of restoration of the relationship between father and son. This robe speaks to the restorative power that Christ has. I've said it, I've said it before and I'll say it again. He will mend a broken heart once you're willing to give him all the pieces. David in Psalms 32 verse 2 says, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and is in whom, whose spirit there is no guile. This robe, the robe of Christ's righteousness, is nothing that we work for, nor is it anything that we can work to obtain. The prodigal had repented, he had confessed, and turned away from his sins. The father supplied the rest. This act of putting on the robe was saying, Look, son, I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions, as a cloud, and as a cloud your sins. That's salvation. Our father says in Isaiah 55, 7, Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The ring, as it so often does in the Bible, represents a covenant, a relationship that shows ownership. It's symbolic. So no, I'm not telling you to go buy at the jewelry store. 
I'm simply telling you that God has decided to establish or to re-establish a relationship with you. God would like to include each and every one of us in his plan, that marvelous plan of salvation. Then we have the sandals. Ephesians 6 verse 15 speaks about us having shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of grace. This lad is ready. He is armed to do his father's will, not as one who is working for immediate rewards, not as a hired servant, but as a son of the Most High, as he rightfully is. First, God's love declares to us, as it did to the Israelites in Micah 2 verse 10, Arise ye, depart, for this is not your rest, because it's polluted, speaking of our sinful condition, it shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. Then he beckons further to us, say, Return unto me. For I have redeemed thee, surely church, this is an awesome God. Sometimes, in our separation, we will come across gems that God has thrown in our ways to help point us back to him. But the devil also places thorns in our paths and mirages to draw us even deeper in despair. And sometimes, we'll come across that even in the church. We see in the latter part of this story, going back to Luke 15, from verse 25, it says, No, his elder son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. This son was jealous, he was cold, he was callous, like some of us can be. Instead of celebrating in his father's receipt of a dead son, or in his brother's victory over pride and riotous living, he was being disgusting and disgusted. He was thinking to himself, or thinking of himself rather. His father was out there pleading and begging him to come to the feast, but instead he was sullen and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandments at any time, and you have never given me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has discovered your life who have devoured sorry your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. In his rage, in his jealousy, he might not have think, might not even stop to think that he is very well giving away his own joys. He's trading his blessings for something of lesser value. And now I'm talking to those of us who have never, those of you who have never departed from the faith. Sometimes the accuser will tempt you, not with accusations, but he will tell you that the grass is greener on the other side. Not realizing that the water bill is higher, the other expensive or the maintenance fee is literally out of this world. Brethren, our brethren, go right where you ought to be. Don't be envious of one that has strayed, or separated, or was lost, or even dead. Be thankful that the grace that God has given you was sufficient to keep you here. Now in all this banter of who never got what and who got what, look at what the father does. He says in verse 31, Son, thou art ever with me, and all I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy father, their, thy brother, was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Now many parents might have given him a strong reprimand. However, this father explained things to him in a tone that was comforting, it seems. He was explaining to him in layman term, layman's term that his brother's return will in no wise lessen what he has. It should at least increase his own joy 
as all that the Father has was already his, not as wages, but as a gift. The rest of my story is irrelevant, except for this one little part. After I found myself in Hagley's Gap, I hitchhiked a ride back, back up to the peak, or back up to Jacob's Ladder with some rangers. Now they were talking about going down into the gully to search for someone. Church, I was that person for whom they were going to search. I prayed, my family prayed. I cried, my family cried. When we met, it was with sweet rejoicing. And the Bible tells us in verse 7 of Luke 15 that likewise joy shall be in heaven over every one sinner, over one sinner that repented more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Pause for now. Thank you.